Welcome, everyone, to another episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment, recommendations, and discussion. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me for this special horror episode is horror fan <laughs> and my co-host, Kales. Hello. Hi, everybody. Yes, sir. We are going to be talking about some scary movies today. And that's a little bit of a departure because I typically try to avoid these. I mean, I don't go out of my way to not see them. There's There are movies that I like. I just don't, not drawn to the genre as Kales is. And so we decided we'd go ahead and knock like two or three of these out at one time just to kind of condense everything <laughs> so I don't have to deal with it uh, multiple weeks in a row. Here on FF Plus, our format is pretty straightforward. We're going to start by talking about what we liked about each movie because we're fans of positivity around here. Then we will transition and mention anything we didn't like before eventually giving you a recommendation about whether we think the movie is worth your time and money. That's it. Simple, short, and spoiler free. Now we are going to get started with the film called The Night House. This stars Rebecca Hall, Sarah Goldberg, Evan, don't have any idea how to say his last name, Stacy Martin, and Vondi Curtis Hall. It is directed by David Bruckner and written by Ben Collins and Luke Piotrowski. What is it about? A widow discovers dark secrets about the house that her late husband built. Now, Coles, this film is one that we put on our radar late. It has already released at this point, and we heard about it last week during our screening of, what did we go see? Do you remember what we went and saw? Reminiscence. Reminiscence, that's right. We had to reminisce talking. and try to figure out what it was, because that's how forgettable it was. That's right, that's right. <laughs> well, it got recommended by one of our uh, press reps, and I was like, oh, no, horror. But when I got home, I noticed that quite a few of our critic friends were raving about it and saying very, very good things. And so we were like, all right, well, let's give this a shot and pair it with Candyman because we're already doing horror for this episode. So as we said, just bunch it all in there together. So I'll tell you what I liked about this first and foremost for me is that it is a psychological horror and a ghost story. So it is not a super bloody kind of heavy attack and killing and murder and gore kind of movie. There are scenes of some horror aspects where you're going to get a little bit of gross type of imagery, but it's really rare. And it is for the most part, it's basically a highly tense and very suspenseful drama. And I absolutely adored this journey because we are put in to the footsteps or of this lady, right? This woman played by Rebecca Hall, whose name is Beth, and her husband, Owen, had killed himself a few days ago or a few, last week or whatever when we pop into the story. And so she's very freshly trying to grieve with this loss. She's trying to deal with it and move on. But of course, she's got major trauma, and that's hard to do. And then all of these like spooky elements start happening, and I liked how subtle the progression in this film is. It, it really hits you in the beginning with this like air of dread and a, just an incredible atmosphere of spookiness. And, and as I said, it's subtle because it's very slow burning. It, you know, the way that the, the house kind of it, it alludes to the house being this presence or something in the house, you really don't know what's going on 
for a large portion of this movie, and I enjoyed the movie at its best when I didn't know what was going on, frankly. I think that it's carried by what is one of the year's best performances by Rebecca Hall. She has to hit all sorts of different emotional beats, and I think she plays someone with grief in a really realistic way in this movie because she's not just always downtrodden and depressed. She goes through stages, but they're not distinctive stages where you'd be like, well, right now she's in stage three, and then she's going to move to stage four, and then stage five. She does things like act real sarcastic or not be able to kind of handle a conversation because she's drifting off into her thoughts because or, or falling asleep because she's not getting enough rest. And dude, I don't know, but her facial expressions and her body language that she acts with in this movie, I just thought it was phenomenal. I thought she did an absolutely amazing job of really engrossing me into this story. And so, yeah, I really liked this a lot. The aesthetic of it, I think, is excellent. It's got this eventual concept of a duality or a mirror world with the house and the way that the the entity in this movie is kind of shown to us. And it almost has like an M.C. Escher feel to it. The way that the architecture is, there's some cool visual stuff with the camera work where the way the camera uses angles with the house itself and objects in the house, it makes it look like there's something there and then the camera will shift and you'll notice like it was just all about the perspective that was scaring you, which is terrifying because it makes you think about like those moments where you would wake up in your bed at night kind of like with this weird feeling and you'd see a shadow perfectly aligned at an angle on your door and it would look like something absolutely horrific or scary. And then, you know, a tree would blow in the wind and it would move and shift and you realize that, oh, there was really nothing there, but you still had that feeling in your body of like, okay, but I'm still scared. And that's what this movie did to me. And so I really liked it, man. I was all in on it. I was super glad that we got a chance to watch it and uh, it's one that I will be highly recommending for people to go see. I think the sound design's awesome. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. I mean, d did you have a good experience with it? One of the things that I hope that many people will talk about and hone in when it comes to psychological drama of this film is this conversations that it has about suicide, mental health, loneliness, grief, and the shell shock feeling it is to lose a loved one. And how when you lose somebody that you care about, nothing else in your life kind of matters. It kind of resets everything. It kind of makes you rethink about how important is this and how trivial how trivial life and unpredictable life can be. There's a scene early in the film where Rebecca Hall's character, she's a teacher, and this mom comes in and she's wondering why her son got a C in his class. And she's kind of talking to her, but this woman doesn't realize that Rebecca Hall's character, she just lost her husband. And then Rebecca, she just comes out of nowhere. It's like, hey, my husband just killed himself five days ago. So to me, your situation that you're coming at me with doesn't really matter because I just lost somebody who I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And it's not something to where you feel like so bad and down and out that it kind of takes you out of experience, but you kind of you kind of get a connection with her character and you kind of understand just how isolated you can be like even though you may have family or supportive friends who are there to see you through it still it still doesn't feel the same especially with someone that you cared about that you loved about 
And another thing about losing someone is that now you have these questions. These questions may pop up. You go and you try to figure out that, hey, I thought I knew this person who I love very much, but maybe I don't know them. And we see these scenes where the main character, she is going through her dead husband's phone and she's figuring out these things about him. And it kind of makes you scared. You know, think about all of the marriages that we see that we think looks happy and everything and how people will say that they're together for 10 years and then one person will wake up one morning and be like, hey, I fell out of love with you. Like, it's over. Like, that's the thing that really, that makes me scared the most, you know, especially for me being in a long-term relationship. Like, I trust my girlfriend and I love her, but there's always that fear and that sense that, hey, I could lose this person or maybe this person may not be the person who I think they are, or maybe I may wake up one day and this person just decides to leave me. I think that is another key component of the narrative that I was able to latch on to. For me, the horror aspect, I'll get into more of the dislikes. It, it lacks the bite of what the psychological drama narrative is really hinting at. Like you said, Rebecca Hall, great performance. Uh, she was one of my favorite parts of Godzilla versus King. Kong, I meant, earlier this year. And it's never an easy task for an actor to be giving a whole film to carry on your back. You know, most of the time, actors are very thankful to have supporting actors who can come in there and give them a break, take over a scene, and then they can come in when they're rested and take it right over again. But Rebecca has to do all most of the heavy lifting for this film because she is the most viewed character. She mostly is in every frame of this film and the supporting characters are just minor set pieces so she's given a a hard job and she passes it with flying colors um great performance the cinematography it's all hers it's all her perspective (laughs) yeah it's almost like a one-woman show if you could think about it (laughs) definitely i I like vondi heard his call it like oh yes i just said his name completely wrong vondi what is it vondi curtis hall Oh, I said it right. Okay. Yeah, yeah I like right. Vondi Curtis Hall. I mean, I like him in almost everything I see him in, but there's something so calming about that man's ability to act like your grandpa. So <laughs> he, he legitimately feels like the kind of guy that you would want on your side or a, a nice neighbor, you know, and that's who he plays in this film. And it's it's kind of refreshing, honestly. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't want to be all racial, but to have this elderly black man who has also lost his spouse, who's living alone, who is almost, he's very caring and comforting. And and he almost, he looks out for this newly single white woman. And he was, and he looked out for the couple when it was the white woman and her husband. And like, he's just a great guy to be around. And a lot of films that feels like you, you put that side character in a different light. But not the case here, and I, I like that. And he's not in it much, but every moment that he was in it, man, he just has a way of just, I think, just making the screen light up. Fully agree with you. Another aspect is the sound design. There are a lot of times where the scenes will play out with no music, but then you hear these little ticks or these little crashes or these little bumps, you know, in the background, and you're kind of... You're kind of just wondering, like, okay, where is that coming from? You're kind of in put into the perspective of Rebecca's character and her being in this big house alone. She doesn't have a husband to keep her safe. She's feeling kind of like weak. There's even a scene where she is on the computer looking for guns. You know, she's feeling she's feeling frightened. And that's another thing that goes back to the psychological aspects is that 
as humans, you know, when we're with somebody, we like to feel safe. And that's more in the case of a woman than it is for a man. Because as a man, we're seen as the, like the more stronger, the more the guys who are able to take the punishment and be able to take out the punishment if need to. A woman, you know, she's more meekly, more soft, you know, somebody who's very nurturing. And, and it's a great dynamic when you have a relationship for a woman where you can feel safe and feel protected. And it brings, it brings me back to another one of these like strong thematic themes in this film that really put it a lot, put it in the mind of more of an art house horror film than just a typical horror film. And that's a good thing because slashers and, you know, just like thing monsters coming out of a frame and just scaring you like, that stuff is all kind of played out now. I think now I like to see, for me, my tastes are more when horror gets psychological, when it's more about making you think and more about surprising you with how it makes you scared and how it gives you these creepy vibes, but without the obvious cliches and tropes. Yeah, I think your point earlier, actually, about the her going through his phone is such a great example of that, right? Because that's horrific in a lot of ways what you find and what we see her go through is an experience where she is taking a risk and one of the characters in the film one of her friends even tells her at one point she's like do you need to know she's like was your relationship with him amazing yes it was then what what matters does it matter do you need to know these details about what was in that phone because is it going to make anything better can it mm -hmm. only make things worse? And it's like, it's weird because there's an element of this where we almost choose to, you know, keep the grief going. We almost look for reasons to hurt, have a hurt in, in, yeah. in a lot of ways. Like we, we're kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, like it, when we feel like we, oh, everything must be great. No, there's got to be something in the room that's, that's secret. And, and we see that here. And, and I like how that got shown as well. Well, you did say that you had some dislikes, so I'll let you go first because I really loved this. And with the exception of the way the film wraps up, it was an absolute banger for me. And, and that was my only kind of criticisms. But I'll let you talk about it first and then I'll just jump in. I really don't understand why this film needed to introduce a supernatural kind of occult angle to the story. Like for me... <laughs> because it's a horror movie and every dude i am with you i hate every go ahead go go ahead i'm okay with this rant for me it, it brought me to the mind of a film like hereditary which dealt with almost the same kind of aspects of secrets you know and just like learning about somebody's true colors and being frightened of it and i can understand why it's introduced and why it's brought in there you know it adds a different dynamic to the whole conversation about this woman in okay should she be grieving for this husband what does she think now like does she still love this man after learning about all his secrets but it comes in as kind of forced and it really lacks the bite of what the psychological drama aspects of this film do if this is a film fully just strictly just paid attention just straight to the conversations about mental health and suicide and this loneliness of this woman and she feels like that a ghost and spirit is haunting her then cool I'm fine with that. It could be, a, I thought we were going to get a movie like A Ghost Story, you know, with um, Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara, something that is original and a unique take on the aspect of loss. And it feel like it was heading there, but then we get to the second half and then, you know, they introduce all of this 
crazy and, you know, just very just sickening kind of uh, horror. And then, you know, the film kind of gets away from what it was doing best. You know, they introduce a lot of things in this occult subplot, a lot of things that don't really even get addressed or resolved by the end. Like literally by the end, you see that this is, you see that a big change is taking place and then afterwards it's just over and, you know, everything is wrapped kind of with a bow. And it doesn't really make sense to me. It, it, it really feels like that the horror in this film is just there just for the sake of trying to scare people. And it's not really following the journey of what the first half was really given us. So I'm with you 100%. And that's why the ending doesn't really work for me. The director himself actually is on record during an interview about talking through this. He said that even people on the set were not fully sure how the film ended and that they felt like the film still had secrets from them, which I don't know that that's a good thing. If you yourself don't know all the, like, it sounds cool on paper. It sounds real, like, artsy right like i made something that even i don't understand <laughs> but i think it shows on the screen i think that uncertainty does come out right with how it's portrayed to us in those final scenes and while they're visually arresting and interesting to watch it did not satisfy me for what i needed from the story like from a thematic core and i think it's 100 percent why you or what you are saying because we go through so much of this movie and the horror is the psychology of her experiencing grief and trauma. And there was a direction this could have gone that really just stayed there and used the mirror elements that were in play and still used all of that to tell a story that didn't have an actual, some sort of supernatural entity in it or cult-like presence, like you said. And it would have had the exact same results, only it would have felt better and more consistent. And so I loved the experience despite that. And I think that just hindered your overall experience more than it did mine. But we have the same beef. Yes. And also at times the pacing, I know this is a slow burn and I'm usually a, a big fan of slow burns, but at times outside of the moments that are meant to like make you jump out of your skin or that really are tackling with some strong ideas there's not really much holding this film together outside of that. I mean, the supporting characters, they're fringe side pieces at best. They don't really add anything. This is Rebecca's performance, and it really all hinges on her, and she does it pretty well. But it would have been nice to have, um, and Bondi, he does a great job, but it would have been nice to have another party come up in there and kind of take over the anchors a little bit here and there to add some juice to the film. Towards the end, I mean, I was still thinking, I was still enjoying and still intrigued, but I was at to the point like, okay, um, can you go ahead and, and close this out, you know, and tell me what, and tell me what's um, supposed to be the end for this, what's supposed to be the end game. And I hate having that feeling for a film, especially if it's a horror film like this, because usually psychological horror is my bag. It's just that the psychological and the supernatural don't mesh well at all. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Well, this film is currently in theaters, so where are you at for recommendations? Uh, should people go see this one, or should people wait to rent it, or should people just skip it? I say that it's worth a watch. If you want to pay for a movie ticket, go ahead. 
I'm very cold on that decision, but it's a decent watch. I had a good time exploring some strong themes and the cinematography is nice. And Rebecca Hall is definitely proven that she's going to be an actress that we're going to be sprouting her name for years to come. It's just that there's a whole lot more that could have been stronger and had a lot more bite and it doesn't achieve that. Well, I loved my experience with it, like I said, despite the ending. And so I highly recommend it. I think it is well worth a watch. I would have enjoyed it even more in a theater than at home where I did watch it. Because like most horror movies, I think they benefit from an environment that it forces you to be 100% in the moment. Whereas when you're at home, even if you're not checking your cell phone or don't have a laptop up looking at Facebook... You are, there are distractions at home that you just don't have in a theater. And I think that the sound design would be really great as far, far as how atmospheric the film is. You know, I, I just, I definitely think it's worth a watch. Um, now, we could talk about the end of this next movie that we're going to discuss, whether or not pe- people should pick one or the other, because it's coming out. Now, we're a little bit late on this film. Like I said, it's already out. It came out last week. The Nighthouse did. So we're running up on a new film. That's about to release this weekend, which means you're going to have to make a choice if you're only going to go see one. The next film we're going to talk about is, in fact, The Candyman. I almost said remake. It's actually a sequel. So Candyman (laughs) 2021. Brief rant. I despise this and I hate it when they name the film the same thing because it, it makes it really hard for people who do what's called SEO, which is the process of trying to tag and appropriately make your internet content for your publications findable and searchable and it's really really hard because if you just type in Candyman, you don't get just this movie you get the old movie too and then you're confused or even if you're just talking to someone Coles, if i was like hey dude Candyman rocked what's your first question which one which one right like (laughs) it, it inherently creates extra questions that don't need to be there so with that said that's not really something we're critiquing, but it, it is a factor. It just annoys me. Uh, so this film stars Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, second, Tayona Paris, Nathan Stewart Jarrett, Coleman Domingo, and also has brief appearances from Tony Todd and Vanessa Estelle Williams reprising their roles from the original film. It is directed by Nia DaCosta, uh, who also created, she made a film called Little Things, and she will be directing Captain Marvel 2, in case you were not aware. It is written by Jordan Peele, Wynne Rosenfield, and Nia DaCosta, and it is based on the short story called The Forbidden by Clive Barker, and it's a sequel to the original Candyman 1992 film that was adapted by Bernard Rose. What's it about? This is a long synopsis, so buckle up. For as long as the residents can remember, the housing projects of Chicago's Cabrini Green neighborhood were terrorized by the word-of-mouth ghost story about the supernatural killer Daniel Robitaille, a.k.a. the Candyman, easily summoned by those daring to repeat his name five times into a mirror. In the present day, a decade after the last of the Cabrini towers were torn down, a visual artist named Anthony McCoy and his girlfriend, an art gallery director named Brianna Cartwright, moved into a luxurious loft condo in Cabrini, now gentrified beyond recognition and inhabited by the upwardly mobile millennials. 
with Anthony's painting career on the brink of stalling, a chance encounter with a Cabrini Green old-timer exposes Anthony to the tragically horrific nature of the true story behind The Candyman. Anxious to maintain his status in the Chicago art world, Anthony begins to explore these macabre details in his studio as fresh grist for paintings, unknowingly opening a door to a complex past that unravels his own sanity and unleashes the terrifying viral wave of violence that puts him on a collision course with his destiny. That okay. was some kind of synopsis. Did you write that? No, my friend. No, I, <laughs> I wish. Uh, I hate big, long synopsises, and I generally go for the shortest one I can find online. But I'll be completely honest. When I'm writing up these, this part of the notes, I'm looking for something quick and easy. So I'm not writing it up myself. And the shorter one that I could find was a sequel to the original Candyman film. And I was like, oh, I mean, I, I obviously want to say more than that. <laughs> And maybe I, I could probably write them up myself and be just fine. But yeah, I, like I said, I do these before I even watch the movies sometimes. And so I just went ahead and copy and pasted this long sucker. So there's the plot, folks. Now you know what we're dealing with. Uh, Kales, Candyman was one that you were extremely excited for. It is one that I had zero interest in. And up until about two weeks ago, we were not going to cover this even on the pod. Well, we were going to cover it. You were going to cover it. And I was going to bow out. But... I decided to take a risk and watch this as well. And even before that, I watched the original Candyman for the first time at age 42 uh, last week, <laughs> which I enjoyed. I will say I was impressed. It was not nearly as scary as I expected it to be based on people's like the way people talked about it. But I also could understand how that film would have terrorized, pe terrorized people in 1992, especially kids and especially the black community. So it makes sense now that I've seen it what the themes are in the film. It's not just another slasher flick. It's, it's really got something going on, which made me hyped to see this one and find out what they could do with it. So like I said, I knew you were excited about it. W what did you like? Tell that Nia DaCosta has been watching a lot of Hitchcock, some Kubrick and some David Cronenberg. Cause I can see all the influence. There are some nice body horror bits in this film that, shocked me a little bit and just the way that she's able to use the camera she doesn't use a lot she doesn't employ a lot of cuts in this film there's a lot of tracking shots a lot of engaging close-ups uh there are some really stylish maneuvers that she pulls especially in one scene where there's like a murder taking place but she uses a wide pullback and not even showing you any of the nasty little bits up and close i i, I just think that this film is directed very well i mean the cinematography looks beautiful it, it, it looks almost like a painting at times. And I That's do... ironic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because um, our lead character, he Anthony, he is an artist. And another thing about that is that I like that these characters, they're portrayed as young Black professionals. They are working their way up. I mean, Anthony, he's a guy who's a starving artist, but you can tell that he has talent, he has drive, and he's working to try and get famous for um, his creative pursuits which is great to see. You know, oftentimes, I'll, I'll say it again, we see in films that deal with Black characters, most of the time you either have one character that is just into some criminal stuff or they're down and out. But we see that these are young Black professionals that are moving, working on their way up. So that was good to see. The acting is very great. Um, Yaya, he's 
he's one of my guys now. You know, we saw him in, in the Watchmen TV series. He's going to be in Matrix 4. I mean, he and he's Black Manta from Aquaman. I was, I was about <laughs> to lose it, yes. I know, I saw you. I knew you were about to give me a shellacking. So, <laughs> so he's the man, and he does a good job in this. Tayona, um, is that how you say her name? Yeah, Tayona um, Paris. She was great. So we all recognize her from WandaVision, so... She does a good job in this. I'm glad that she is getting these opportunities to do kind of these films that have a lot more eyes on them because she's been somebody who's been in the underground for a little bit. She hasn't really get the recognition that she deserves, but I think all that would change with this film. And I love that this film is able to take a modern approach with the Candyman story and kind of dipping it into sobering reality, especially with the use of police brutality, justification, and also just the conversation surrounding the generational trauma that runs in African-American families. And I'm not gonna do any spoilers because there is a significant link between this film and the original, but it goes to show you that for African-American families, if it's not slavery, if it's not Jim Crow, if it's not segregation, if it's not lynchings, there is a certain kind of trauma that passes on through generations. And it's like the new generation is gonna experience something new and something that's going to affect them and pass down the bloodlines. And I think, it was very effective how Peel and DaCosta and the other screenwriters were able to weave that in. I do also like how creepy and scary this film is. There are moments where there are some effective jump scares. There are a lot of motifs involving mirrors, you know, as people looking at themselves and just seeing bees and everything just like flying around. <laughs> and it's very unnerving. And there's always a sense that around the corner, even if Candyman, even if you don't say his name five times, there's always a sense that he's going to pop out somewhere and you never can see him. And they really show Candyman more of his powers in this film, I noticed. I noticed that he's able to levitate a lot more often. And there's a, a good bit where he plays the Invisible Man, <laughs> where he's able to terrorize and destroy people and not be seen. Overall, I find this film to be a very engaging horror film, but there are some issues that keeps it away from being as great as I thought it was going to be. Well, this is weird because I <laughs> thought the first film was okay and didn't get the hype. And I certainly expected this to be too gross for my taste. And here I am on a podcast about horror that I expected to be like me hating every minute of this because I'm not into this genre for the most part. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was fan-freaking-tastic. And I went in with really, like, heightened sense of kind of, I was standoffish. Like, I was like, you really got to prove it to me because I didn't care for us. I thought it was a little too, you know, a little too deep and wacky for me. I know you're shaking your head. It's okay. It's fair. It's fair. I get it. But like, I was a little nervous. So, so, so Peel has been hit or miss for me is my point when he's writing. I didn't love little things. I thought it was okay. So I didn't have a lot of hope necessarily for Nia Costa. I thought it was great that we were putting this film and this property in the hands of black artists because it's your, it's their story. It's your story, right? That's who it's about. This is about black trauma and how that starts to get passed down through history. And, and that's what the, the theme of the original film really is about, is you know, the main character, which he was also an artist, 
I love that. Daniel Robitaille was an artist, and the reason that he was murdered by white folks back in the day was because he got this girl pregnant who he was introduced to because he was making portraits for the rich family, right? And they end up murdering him, so he comes back and he haunts people, yada, yada, yada. And the way that the themes in this film take that story, that original story, and move them into the modern day, like you said, focusing on the gentrification of that neighborhood, I think it's brilliant because it goes from what was really happening in the 90s where we were creating projects to now what's really happening in 2020 where we're reclaiming that land because now we want it back because we want to use it. And so like none of it is good <laughs> for the black community. I say we because I'm white, but like none, none of it is good for that community. But now you have a black population that has been sucked into this belief and this system of like they're the they're the millennials like they're the ones who are living in it and they actually have to confront that at one point in this film and kind of think about their own place in this cycle and how they're contributing to it and so for me i thought that the themes were awesomely explored i i absolutely loved them i was locked into it this time it wasn't too confusing it was right there on the surface. I'll be honest, at the beginning, I was a little worried because they were really, really explaining things a lot. They do, you're, you're, this is going to be in your dislikes, I think, but like they take the time to tell the Candyman story from the first movie, which is probably a good thing. It's done in an artistic, interesting way, which I liked, but that's, that's probably good because you don't want to leave out people who may never have seen it. But then... Throughout the film, after that point, they continue to really talk about that movie. And they really just repeat it kind of over and over. Ultimately, I didn't mind it because I think that it's important to link the story themes to this movie. And in, I, like I said, I was torn because part of me says, we don't need that. You need to trust the audience and, and let us just figure it out. But what I ultimately landed on personally was I would rather people get why this movie and why it's horrific versus potentially walking out of it and not understanding it because it was so subtle. So I liked that choice. Ultimately, it did not derail the movie in any way for me. Performance wise, I, I loved it. Like you said, Yaya is one of my guys now for sure. I mean, I, I will just watch him in anything. I think he's absolutely phenomenal. His charisma the way he commands a screen, my goodness gracious. Um, I, again, I liked uh, Teona as well. I'm excited to see what she does next. She gets to actually have some moments at the end of this film that sort of turns the lens onto her a little bit where she gets to show her chops. Um, and I thought she really shined pretty bright in that moment. Coleman Domingo is, he's much like Vondi Curtis Hall in The Night House. Mm -hmm. Not, not <laughs> well, their characters are very <laughs> But I mean, he's in that way where when he comes on screen, he is just, and that's what's so great about him and the role he plays in this movie. He is such a calming presence. He talks to you and you immediately feel comfortable with him and you believe him. And he is just the kind of man that is, I mean, I don't know how to explain it, but like he is just so charismatic without even trying. He just envelops everything on that screen and every 
every aspect of the film and you are focused 100% on this guy's voice. Like he is that commanding and not in an overpowering way. I just, I absolutely love him. I think he's phenomenal. And so I think using him in this really interesting way was a nice play because it hurt me more because it's him in this role than if it was someone else. Nathan Stewart Jarrett plays uh, the gay brother of Brianna, I believe. I think it's it's her brother, right? Yeah, it's her brother. I loved him. I thought he was hilarious. <laughs> and he gets to kind of inject some of the get out nature of black community in modern day to this story where you have characters who are reversing normal horror tropes of like, you know, all oh, oh, always going to be the black characters that die first. And there's a great moment in this film where somebody's like, Nope, not going to be me. You know what I mean? And I, I enjoy that visually. I love the film as well. I, I thought that the horror aspects were just creepy and dark enough to get under my skin without turning me off. There are a lot of kills that take place off screen. The brutality is not shown. And I think that that's important. I think that's a choice. I think Nia DaCosta is telling us in this movie, like we've seen enough. We don't need to watch the, like this is not pleasant. Like I know you're here for entertainment, but the point of this is that it's bad. <laughs> we don't want to keep this cycle of violence. The violence is continuing. It's 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 a it's a never-ending thing, but we don't want to have it happen over and over. So I'm not going to have you relish in it. And the way the camera just captures these events off screen is almost more scary because then we see the after effects of the killings, of course. But we don't always see them take place. That Invisible Man type sequence, I thought was freaking fantastic. Like, it, it was, oh, like, so good the way it's shot. And I agree. I think to me, Candyman in this movie is way more terrifying. I miss Tony Todd's voice. Like that's the iconic part mm -hmm. of the original character. But man, watching this, watching the 92 movie in this day and age, it's just hokey. Like it's practical effects. I mean, it's not, I'm not, it's not their fault. Like it's, I'm not, you know what I mean? Like I'm not <laughs> dogging the movie. Like they couldn't do anything else, <laughs> but when you put the character and he walks in in a big pimp coat and he's not supposed to be real, he's supposed to be supernatural, but he feels like he's completely human. He's just a normal dude. This movie makes you realize like Candyman is an entity. And that was scarier to me. Um, and then ultimately, man, the way that the story goes, I loved it. The way I, I wish we could spoil it partially because it's just completely devastating the ending of this film and oh boy Coles disagrees and <laughs> the direction <laughs> the direction it takes the idea of trauma and and how it becomes reclaimed and repurposed by the black community in a certain way it's really intriguing to me so i i liked it uh, and obviously i think your mileage is going to vary cuz Coles may not like it so much as I did. Um, and then lastly, before we move into the dislikes, I will say this movie is under 90 minutes long. It has a really mm -hmm. short credit sequence that is pretty nice with those. It's got the animated puppets that they use in a couple different scenes during the movie that are really cool and creepy. And that's it. And then there's a little uh, 
nod a note at the end of the credits that says, here's an organization you can support uh, that, that works against or works about rectifying racial justice and, uh, and works for the, the good of healing the community. And I thought that that was a nice way to end it, but it's really short, sweet, tight movie, packs a punch, and then it gets out. And, and that's my favorite kind of horror. So, okay. I ranted, I, ra- I raved. So what is it that keeps this from being what you expected or what you wanted? Each time when this film delves into the the problems of gentrification or police brutality or racism, it felt like, you know, my uncle was sitting me down as a kid and he's like, give me a message. He's trying to tell me a lesson. Like, it, it, it really just d- dwells into being on the nose at times. And this is a problem that I've noticed Peel has had since he reclaimed the, tro- the Twilight Zone TV series. Like, I loved the first few episodes, but then afterwards, that first season, the episodes kind of turned into, okay, so let's pick a topic that's bad. Okay, what about police brutality? Or, hey, what about racism? And then, boom, let's shove it all into your face about how bad this is, and let's tell you and explain to you everything that's going on with how bad this is. It's like, no, 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 no. This needs to be subtle. This needs to be, there needs to be a better way for you to integrate all of this strong commentary into a much better screenplay like this film kind of helps me to appreciate how smart get out was with this narrative get out is a very simple narrative when you chalk it down but there are so many little details and nuances and subtext in the dialogue that anytime you come back and rewatch you learn something new this film kind of shows his car on the table and be like hey gentrification is bad hey police brutality is bad hey black people have been killed and being maimed and brutalized over the years that's bad i understand it I understand that is, and it's a very good message to put into your film, but there has to be a little bit less of a preacher on a pulpit kind of viewpoint and more subtlety. Subtlety is kind of what works best in situations like this. Also, the visuals, visuals are a little bit cartoonish at a point. Uh, there are certain Which is why where- I like, both of those reasons are why I liked it, more, which is hilarious, right? I just, just <laughs> want to point that out. I think you're, I think what you're saying, like about, I'm, I'll just cutting you off real briefly, but like when we talk about like him being on the nose, I think you're, you're dead on. Like there's nothing you're saying that's wrong. And I think that's a direct response to us because us was not the commercial success of Get Out. And a lot of that is because people like me were like, what, what? <laughs> like it was too, too. And, and I know you loved it. And I have so many friends that loved it and critics loved it. And that's fine. But it wasn't commercial fine. This is commercial fine. And, and you're right. He may have swung that pendulum too far for, for some people like yourself. But I think that that's what's going on here is he's hitting, he's being obvious in order to re- to make sure more people get it and risking letting some people think that it's not subtle enough. And I think it's also the same thing with the horror aspects and the the cartooniness of it. Like that makes it accessible to someone like me where if it was much darker, I would I would have hidden my eyes and checked out, you know, or avoided it. Yes, uh, the big problem with us, not really a problem for me because I like films like that, but the big problem with us is that it's one of those films where after you watch it, you got to go and message your friends or call your friends and be like, hey, did you see this movie? And they'd be like, yeah. And they'd be like, hey, do you understand what's going on? Like, that's what I got a lot when it came to us. And I think that was the big fallback of that film. It was a little bit too artsy, a little bit too... Uh, very 
double meaning and just hidden in this like in his proclamations. And a lot of people just got confused about what to believe. This film is very straightforward. It's almost like a, a glass of water. You kind of just don't even think about it. You know, it's going to be something that a lot of people will be able to get. But yes, um, you know, like you said, you agree with me on that. That's just um, one of the issues I had with it. Another one is that the ending. Oh, my God. <laughs> the ending just really goes, just settles so much for a crowd-pleasing moment. And I think this film deserved better than that. Like, there is a super... This supernatural entity of Candyman, there is a lot of territory you can get with this film. There's a lot. There's a lot of messages. There are a lot. There's a lot of commentary and metaphors and symbols that you can bring out of this character. And for this film to settle on the conclusion that it does, it just feels like it kicks a field goal instead of going for the touchdown. It feels like, hey, I want to get, I want to give people a risk for film. I want to give people a way to be able to clap, but not every horror film needs a moment like that. Sometimes horror films just need you to sit back and they need to leave you thinking about certain things or leave you an ambiguity or leave you kind of shocked or leave you wanting a little bit more. And I felt that the ending of this film really cheapened out on that. And it kind of goes for the easy target. And I won't spoil who the easy target is, but once people see it out there, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And this is not me saying that the intentions are bad. I understand what the intentions are, but when you put it like this, it's like, you like, come on now, come on. Like, <laughs> I know you can do better than this. I know that you could have thought much harder about how to end this. And maybe there wasn't no other way to end this, but this, but it's something that I found just not fitting into what this character is and what the social commentary in the world building was for this film. Like I said, the film, it's yeah. very good, but I had higher expectations. I felt that with a modern retelling, it could do a lot more with this character. And it does in certain points, but also it just limits its potential its potential greatness. It limits it with a couple of befuddling and confusing choices when it comes to the writing and when it comes to the way it resolves. I don't fully disagree with you. It's the reason that this is not a five-star movie for me. So I'll <laughs> I'll agree with you there. Like that big change of direction at the end of this film, it, it's much like the Nighthouse, not the way it happens, but our reaction, our response to it is similar to what happened with the Nighthouse, where the movie is going a going at this really great pace and this really great thing, and it's zooming along and it's going nice, and then it's kind of like, okay, now it's going to just completely change course in a way. It kind of comes out of nowhere, it kind of a shock, and it goes hard in this ending direction that's supposed to be a big moment that can, like you said, fall flat. It didn't bother me nearly as much in the end as it did for you, which was similar to the Nighthouse. So I think we're learning something about ourselves here is like you need that landing to be stuck hardcore. Like that's important to you. Um, and it's it matters to me, but I think it matters a little less. So. But but I I cannot disagree with what you're saying because I and specifically what you're saying about the quote crowd pleasing moment that ends up getting taken against a certain person group mm -hmm. that is an easy target as you put it. it it is no question about that and in this moment potentially this is the thing that I find interesting about Candyman in the original film and then it, it's replayed here towards you know different scenarios in this is 
a lot of the vengeance that gets taken out against people is done to people who didn't have a they acted in under the knowledge that they had i'll use the original Candyman as an example i don't mind spoiling a 1992 movie but when helen is put into we're supposed to feel sorry for helen in a sense right helen is being mistreated by because she is misunderstood like she didn't actually commit these murders but it looks like she commits these murders we can't actually hate the people that arrested her for arresting her because they should have arrested her. (laughs) They should have, you know what I mean? Like they don't know what they don't know and that's not their fault. And so if you were to punish them and then want me to feel good about that in your movie, that would be a mistake, I think. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing some of happen in this new version as well. (laughs) One more thing I wanted to touch on was um, Tony Todd. Um, He's only in, it's only brief, but the way they put him into this film, I was like, (laughs) <laughs> all right <laughs> this this is what we're doing this is what we're doing and you might and as it, well not have been there you might as well not even put him in there might as well <laughs> just leave him out of it and just go on with this new vision just don't even harken back to him <laughs> yeah i was a little bummed out by that as well i thought that they could have used him in a much more interesting way um and even a much more crowd-pleasing way you know than they did so that that kind of stunk but all right well I I do think crowd pleasing is a great word for this. I have noted already on some social media that this is a movie that is going to absolutely slay in person in a crowded theater on opening night. I don't think you're going to hit get out levels uh, like that was one of the most incredible because it was such a shocker. <laughs> like I remember vividly, like that Very is one incredible. of the, you know that Avengers, uh, Infinity uh, Infinity War, Avengers in uh, in the end game specifically. Like those have moments and certain things that are just like culture they just capture everybody and, and you go nuts but i think you're going to see a lot of hooting and hollering and and happy i think that you're going to get that kind of interesting communal really fun atmosphere from a theater viewing of this movie because of that i say absolutely go see it in the theater i loved it and i think it's going to play really well so if you're so inclined of course to venture out this film will be in the theater when will it be in the theater august 27th is that what this friday is yeah august 27th we don't know when it's coming to streaming so go make a double feature go see the night house first because it's slower and then go see Candyman, and go home and just don't sleep because you probably won't at that point but I, i absolutely think it's worth it what about you oh i think it's definitely worth it actually thinking about it i think i would have liked it better if it was for the community the communal aspect i mean just having that buzz in the theater sitting around and watching people just like kind of react to certain moments the way you're reacting to it there's nothing that beats that feeling so i think this film is a perfect example of something that is that is so good to watch with a group of friends or with a spouse or just to see it with other people that you don't know i think it will be a very interesting experience in that viewpoint and also, I mean, I think the film is very good. Not great, but very good. And hey, most people go to the theaters to just watch a good film. And this film is very good. So I was absolutely recommend it. I'm feeling it for theater viewing. Yay! We came around <laughs> to a happy point. I like it. <laughs> Last, I'm going to drop some quick thoughts for everybody, Coleste, on one more horror film. Because I was like, hey, I have not Ooh. had enough. I might as well just throw it all into one week and get it over with until October. So we're going to talk about 
the movie Demonic. It stars Carly Pope, Chris William Martin, Michael J. Rogers, Natalie, Natalie Bolt, and Terry Chin. It is directed and written by Neil Blomkamp. What's it about? A young woman unleashes terrifying demons when supernatural forces at the root of a decades-old rift between mother and daughter are ruthlessly revealed. Okay, here's the thing. Backstory, I love Neil Blomkamp. I have tried very hard to get him on for an interview. I've connected with him a couple times, and we haven't lined up for one. Patrick and I are huge fans. We've covered Chappie. We love Chappie. I really like Elysium. District 9 is an all-time sci-fi movie for me, and I think for a lot of people. But in general, I think that Neil Blomkamp just has an incredible, incredible mind. Um, I've watched most of his Oats Studio short films. They have some horror elements to those. They're very sci-fi as well, of course. He just really does interesting things. And so I finally decided I was going to check this out, okay? It was seven bucks to rent. I'm going to tell you what I think at the end of this, just so you know, seven bucks to rent. Uh, it's like 15 bucks to buy. I decided it was worth it because I like the director, even though I was unsure what to expect from him doing a horror-leaning movie. What I like about this film is that concept, though. It is so trippy, and it is genuinely interesting to me, Coles, to take the idea of demon possession, which we've seen done a million times with seances, and, you know, uh, summoning circles and trances and stuff. And people go into the spirit realm and fight off demon possessions. James Wan is one of like his favorite things to like do in some of his series. We're transporting that same concept. And instead, they're using science. They're going in via virtual reality into this character. So the main character played by Carly Pope, her mom is a serial killer. That's creepy. Her mom is in some sort of medical coma at some sort of medical research facility that is like new tech. And so they call her in. She goes in the virtual reality and her goal is to go in into this like into her mom's mind and kind of get an understanding of why her mom committed these horrific serial killer crimes because they don't know. They can't figure it out. Unbeknownst to her, there is another reason that people want her to be going in there. But of course, she doesn't know that. That part of the thing, it's got a ghost in the machine kind of aspect to it. It's very video gamey, which makes sense because Neil Gaiman does do a lot of video game type stuff as well. And I like that. Um, it's got a pretty slow going start to the film. Most of the pacing is just not very fast at all. And it's also around a 90 minute film overall. Uh, and I mean, I think it's 145 or 141 or something like that. But there are some possession scenes that completely terrified me that are visually like there's two of them in particular, one in the middle and one at the end of the film where you're like, that's my Neil Blomkamp. Like, that's how he can make something look amazing and unique and very distinct and interesting. I love that aspect of it. Unfortunately, I have to side with the majority of the critical response so far that this is his worst outing. And I'm really hurt by that because now 2021 has given me my least favorite Neil Blomkamp movie and my least favorite Zack Snyder movie. And I need it to just stop because I love these directors and I don't know what is happening. So slow 
the 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 awfulness, please. Twenty twenty one. What I didn't like is any of the actors in this movie. I think like it feels there's no A list actors and it shows. It, it, it's like Neil couldn't get anybody to come be in this movie. Unfortunately, is what it seems, and so he got who he could get, and I didn't connect with anybody, which made it really hard on an emotional level to give. A, any bit of care at all about what was happening to the characters. They're not built up. He doesn't handle that part of his movie. Well, that's not his strengths. Um, the emotional drama part and this movie's heavy kind of on that. And so it's just, it falls flat. doesn't work. The pacing, like I said, is off and the visual design is off. Like the way that they show the virtual reality in the mother's mind that they go into, it's neither really cool and tech looking like Tron. Not, I'm not saying the Tron exact Tron design, but you know how like, and that's a very distinct, like, you know, you're in virtual reality right now. It is very clear. Or you could go the route of being so hyper realistic that you're in somebody's mind, but you don't even really realize it, right? This is stuck in the middle. The closest thing I could use as a comparison is maybe Lawnmower Man. And that's a movie that came out in the 90s, I think. I think it was the 90s. So why are we having visuals of something that came out in the 90s in 2021? Like that, it didn't work, right? It was like stuck in the middle. Very awkward looking. So when you mix that, didn't like the performances, thought the pacing was off. And the most egregious problem with this movie is on top of the super cool concept of just doing this via virtual reality, it introduces the Catholic Church and an element of a desire for exorcism in a way that is one of the most badass ideas I've heard in a long time, Coles. Like seriously, like I will tell you after the podcast, but it is really, really freaking cool. And they introduce it and then they very briefly start to show you it in action at the end of this movie. And then they destroy it all off screen and they go in a completely different, normal, boring ending of the movie with your main characters. It was such a neat idea. I was talking to one of our friends from SFCS after this, after I watched it, and he and I both were like, dude, give me a movie like literally all about that part of it, that one thing. Like, And that therein lies the problem, is that I was so disappointed in Demonic because I know that Neil, Ga Neil Gaiman, Neil Blomkamp has these ideas, and I would liken him to someone like Shyamalan right now, where... Every single concept they've ever come up with has been interesting to me. Like, I think at its core, those are neat. But Neil and Shyamalan in some of his cases, like they need to collaborate. There needs to be somebody else in the room to check them and go, let's not do it quite like that. That's a good idea, but let's maybe, you know, show it this way. Or let's maybe take the story in a little different direction. Like they need help. They just aren't good all the way on their own. And they both have so similar arcs where they made absolute bangers on their own. And so now they feel like they can just replicate that. And time has proven over and over again that they're not. They're super talented directors. They have all the technical ability in the world. Like I said, they have genius level, interesting ideas. I want to see their ideas come to us in the best way possible. And that's not going to happen if these two guys just keep trying to do it all on their own. I, I just don't see it. And so that was unfortunately my experience with this film. It's out now. 
You can go see it in theaters, or like I said, it's on VOD to buy or rent for seven bucks. Honestly, I will tell you, it feels like I spent my seven bucks, so you don't have to. Uh, feel free to thank me. You can PayPal me at fuelandfilm at gmail.com uh, for that $7 charge. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But, you know, it, it just, it's a bummer. It's a bummer, man, because I really love this director. And I, when I tell you this idea, you're going to be like, you're going to feel exactly like I, I did. And that's, so what are you going to do? Uh, unfortunately, didn't have the goods. And I, I can't in good faith recommend this one, especially not for the money that it would cost to see it. If it ever shows up on like Netflix or something for free, yeah, absolutely put it on and check it out just to see what could have been. But I, in hindsight, I wouldn't pay money for it. All right. Well, that is it for us. Uh, that's three horror movies. Hopefully one of these has piqued your interest. We would love to hear from you about what you think of these films. If you get a chance to see them, you can always check in with us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Feelin' Film and at Black Nerd Magic, or you can come join the awesome Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group where we talk about movies all day, every day. We will be back soon, but until then, keep feeling film. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at Feelin' Film or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive and keep feeling film.